Hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick and Casey and Jeff. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on SpoilerVerse.com. But if you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcatcher, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at SpoilerCountry at gmail.com. of the Spoilerverse, and welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kenneth Cregan, that is Johnny Horsley, and today on the show, well, Casey and Jeff get to talk with Kelly Thompson. She is a writer. She's been on Hawkeye and Jessica Jones and a plethora of other Marvel titles. I think even did Jim and the Holograms, and I think right now she's working on what, Johnny? Captain Marvel, Deadpool, Black Widow. I mean, she wrote Nancy Drew. She wrote Lumberjanes. I mean, one of the Lumberjanes specials. I mean, she's done so she's working on all that right now. Not right now. The, the, <laughs> right now, it's it's Captain Marvel, Deadpool, and Black Widow. Gotcha. But she's worked on all the other stuff before. And it's just, yeah. It, it, when she wrote a Sabrina the Teenage Witch series for five issues. I mean, there's so much stuff she's done. She's a she's a, a very prolific writer. And she's done a lot. A really fun person to talk with. I, I I would. I mean, I don't know. I wasn't there, but Casey it's one of the and ones Jeff that you're talk. totally jealous of after you listen to the interview. You're like, oh god damn it! Every time, every time. And Casey and Jeff were like, oh man, she was so cool. But you know, again, jealous, <laughs> <laughs> jealousy. All right, but, guys. Wait, 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 wait. Before we hit it, yeah. Tell them what we want. Tell them what Cthulhu compels them to do oh, now. Oh, I'm so glad you asked that question because today, of all days, year of all years, month of all months. Just right now, we're trying to get some people to tell us what Cthulhu compels them to do. And if you're a fan of this show, you know at the end, we always say, and Ocean's a podcast, we are Cthulhu. And as Cthulhu compels you to do, open the mind and read more. But we want to know what Cthulhu compels you to do. So hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. And if we like what you say, it could be funny. It could be gross. It can be inspirational. It can be a multitude of things. We will use that at the end of our podcast if we choose so. If we choose yours, I should say choose so. That yeah. sounds weird. But if we use <laughs> if we choose yours, we will use it at the end of the podcast and we will use what Cthulhu 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 Whichever. compels you to do. <laughs> it's Kung Fu. He's Kung he's Kung Fu now. He's Kung Fu Thulu. <laughs> We just created a new character. <laughs> oh, my God. So now that you know what's going on, hopefully we'll hear from you soon. But why don't we sit back and listen to Kelly Thompson? Words. All right, everybody, welcome again to another episode of Spoiler Country. My name is Casey Allen, and today on the phone, we have the amazing, the talented, the great Kelly Thompson, the semifinalist, 1979. <laughs> I have no idea why that's her website name, but the, uh, maybe she can tell us. 
I can certainly tell you. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for coming on. Uh, oh my goodness, you stay busy. That's a little too busy sometimes. <laughs> a, a lot of a lot of comics is like that. I've learned in the last few years. It's very sort of feast or famine, and you know, it's feast is certainly better because you know you're less worried about where money's coming from, and you feel better about the direction your career is going, and all that good stuff. But um, I. Uh, I don't, it, 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 it's pretty feast for too long and uh, it, it really burns you out and you can get real stressed out. I was a little bit before we started this podcast, I was talking to my boyfriend. He was at his computer in the office and I was just laying on the bed in the dark and I was like, I, I, I need a vacation, man. And he's like, yeah, we're going to go. I was like, that's at the end of April. I was like, I'm talking about now. I need to be away from a computer for like three full days and just like unable to engage with the world. I just need like a full, full breakdown moment. So it can, uh, it can really get to you. Can we get into that a little bit? Like just, just sure. off the jump. Um, I mean, what what is your creative day like? Like your your work day? I mean, you I, I'm assuming you work from home. I do. So so when when does that start and when does that stop or is it just like a constant like? I mean, it really depends what's going on. I tend to sleep about six hours on average. So, but when I go to bed, really depends on what's going on with the way my schedule's been. Lately, I've been having a lot of really late nights because uh, as much as I try and fight it, more writing gets done at night. Um, I would love to be someone who like pops up at 5 a.m. and like just digs in and who isn't distracted and whatever. But I just find it less distracting and easier to concentrate. You know, nobody's delivering packages at three in the morning. Less people are, you know, on Twitter there's less people on my writing slacks. There's, there's just less distraction. Like I can't order food from anywhere. Like it's just, it's just easier to like, you know, make the signal to noise ratio. Like, you know, um, so, uh, I tend to start a little later. Um, I would say when things are sort of going well and my schedule isn't totally overwhelming, I'm probably up by nine. And I work off and on all day. I mean, I, it's not that I don't take breaks. Like, um, you know, sometimes I'll have errands or chores or other things I have to do, you know, but like basically I work all day <laughs> and, um, or try to work. I mean, I think that's a big part of the, the misnomer of a writer is, you know, they talk a lot about it's about ass in chair. And I find that to be very, very true because you have to assume that a very large percentage of you sitting in front of that computer will be not doing the thing you're trying to do, right? So you're sitting down to write Black Widow number one, and there are a ton of legitimate things that will get in the way of that, right? Like you'll get a bunch of emails from your editor about reviewing pages, or you need to do a lettering pass, or like whatever the thing is. So there's all this other stuff that people sort of don't think of when they think of what a writer does. And so there's all that really legitimate stuff. But then there's also, you know, oh, you watched a YouTube video and now you looked up and it's an hour later and you've watched 50 YouTube videos because you fell down a YouTube hole. And, and like that stuff's going to happen. And some of it probably has to happen. And some of it is just lack of self-discipline. 
Um, but you got to account for, in my experience, X amount of hours in chair in order to get far less number hours of work done, you know? So it's, uh, but I, I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll never figure it out completely. Like I've given up the idea that like, Oh, someday I'll have the perfect schedule and I'll know what's best for me. And <laughs> I, I have a dream life where I have an office that isn't my living room and that's a more comfortable space. And I'm able to better compartmentalize work from play. You know, I dream of that. I dream of having my own swimming pool one day and I can go out and swim in the middle of the day to like take a break and like get some perspective and get my brain sort of thinking and being away from computers but the reality is you just got to grind it out every day and maybe you get those, those dream scenarios later, or maybe you don't, but you just got to keep hoping, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, because your career is comic book writing, do you think people have difficulty understanding that it actually is work and the amount of effort you're putting in? Do you find people feel almost alienated that you're so busy and maybe not getting it? Like my friends, you mean? Like my Friends. life, people in my life. Right. Yeah. I mean, everyone I know is really nice about it. Like all my friends. I mean, they're nice people. They're my friends. Right. Um, and most of them understand that um, I am sort of weirdly famous in this one little small area and that I'm really in demand right now. And so I'm trying to really... Um, you know, I want to answer all the calls I can because everyone's calling now. And that's a little bit of a rookie mistake, but you can't help but feel like, well, my phone's not always going to ring this much. So I want to make sure I'm taking on every opportunity I can handle. And so I think my friends get that. But I'm very unbalanced when it comes to work-life balance. I, I'm very bad at, like, making sure I'm getting out and, like, doing things. I mean, I have a boyfriend who makes sure I don't fall completely off the map, you know, makes me go to the movies with him sometimes and things like that. But, you know, I'm like here with these two cats and that's what I do. (laughs) It's pretty much full time. So since you've kind of given up, at least for now on the whole work-life balance thing, (laughs) um, do you, do you have any, any tips for just, you know, at least taking care of yourself, because I mean, that's a huge thing that people tend to forget to do. Yeah. Nobody should listen to me. I'm very bad at it. (laughs) I'm very bad at it. My health has rocketed downwards very badly. Um, not just since doing comics, but I start, I got laid off in, um, it's like 2009, I think. Um, I was working in high-end architecture, not as an architect, but like in administration. And after that recession that we had, you know, it really hit things like high-end architecture really badly. And so there were tons of layoffs and I got laid off and, but I got a decent severance package and I like cash out my 401k and took that severance package and what little savings I had. And I was like, I'm just not going to look for a new job right away. I'm going to try to make this writing thing happen. And it honestly, it lit a really great fire under me. And um, it obviously eventually worked out, although I had a lot of help along the way. It didn't work out immediately. I mean, you figure that was 2009 and I didn't start having comics published until 2015. 
Um, I did other stuff. I wrote two novels and I did some other things, but you know, six years between starting to get mainstream success in comics. And let me tell you, 2015 was not a year where you could live on what I made easily. So, you know, it still took longer than that even to get there. But I started working from home a lot in like 20, 2009, 2010. And, um, it was, I love it, but it was really bad for my health. Like, you, you don't realize how much you have to like compensate for that. Um, just the, just the things that you do naturally by going to a job, you know? And, um, and I was very bad at that. I would never, <laughs> I would never use myself as a, as a model. I mean, if you want to look at me as a model for someone who can sometimes write six comic books a month, which is too many, by the way, um, or as, as someone who really loves their work and like cares about it a lot though. Sure. As someone who takes, who knows how to do work-life balance or who takes care of their health. No, I'm the worst model. Someone who's good at like hanging out with their friends. No, I'm, I'm terrible. <laughs> I'm terrible. Just, just real quick. The, the best advice I've, I've gotten from a comics professional is, is a guy, he's a, uh, an indie comics artist, uh, named Clayton Holyfield. And he told me that I think he actually lives in Portland, but, uh, he told me that, that cause all the indie people live in Portland, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, he told me, uh, he listens to vinyl records while he works Mm -hmm. because he knows that at least every 30 minutes, he's going to have to get his ass out of the chair, Mm -hmm. flip the record over. And just to keep the, it's a, it's a great, it is a great idea. And, and again, if you can figure out how to be more disciplined than I am, which I'm sure there are many people who are better at that, then that's great. And that's a good way to force yourself to get up and move every certain amount of time or whatever. But the problem for me and for, I suspect a lot of people like me is every time you get up from that chair, you're losing not the time that it takes you to change the record or go to the bathroom or get a glass of water or whatever it is. You're losing, (laughs) you're losing all this other time where you've stopped what you're doing. Right. So, so I was in the middle of writing black widow one. I got to change the record I got a glass of water. I went to the bathroom. I came back. It was, you know, five minutes. But now I'm checking Twitter. And now I'm checking my email. And now I'm this. And now I'm that. And then the next thing you know, you you took a three-hour break. And some of that wasn't even a break. Some of it you were doing, like, real legitimate stuff. But now you were writing your script. And now you didn't write it for three hours. And so it's a real it's a real problem. I mean, it's like, listen, it's a dream job. It's a dream job that so many people want and that I feel so lucky to have, but it's filled with little traps just like any other job and figuring them out like in any job, I think is a lifelong process. You know, you get better at some stuff and not at other stuff. Now, were there anyone in the industry who helped uh, mentor you and help you figure out maybe how to try to navigate um, this industry? Um, I don't, you know, I don't really do the con thing, so I don't hang out at bars and stuff. I mean, before I went, before I signed exclusive with Marvel Comics and then ended up going to the Writer Summit and meeting a ton of people that I had known only digitally, the only person I'd met in comics before that, so that was in 2017, the only person I'd met in comics before that was uh, Sophie Campbell, my artist on Gem. Uh, she and I had gotten lunch one time when she came to New York. 
Um, so I'm notoriously reclusive, <laughs> which is, uh, I was talking to Matt Rosenberg the other night uh, at dinner. He was in Portland for Comics Pro. And he was like, yeah, I mentioned to some people that I was going to dinner with you. And they were like, oh, is Kelly here? Is Kelly here? He's like, people are hungry for it, man. And I was like, yeah, but the second I show up, all that goes away. I was like, they only want it because they can't have it. I was like, so I'm just going to stay away. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think that I don't know that anybody helped me with figuring out work-life balance and like things like that. But there are definitely people who helped me sort of. Um, get a purchase in the industry. I would say the biggest one is Kelly Sudaconic, who, um, you know, at some point when I was working, I was, I was not, I didn't have gem yet. I, I had pitches and I knew I was at the point where I was ready to break in. If I could just get my foot in the door, like, you know, cause a lot of that stuff, you know, they talk about when the opportunity arises, be ready. And there were a lot of years there where I wasn't ready. Like I wanted to be, but I wouldn't, if the opportunity had come, I might've screwed it up, you know? And so there came this certain point where I was like, no, I'm definitely ready now. And I had this graphic novel that was in the works, um, but it was going to take a long time because Meredith McLaren was drawing it, inking it, coloring it, doing all the lettering. So it was going to take, you know, a year, two years for that to come out. And so I reached out to a few comics pros and I was like, listen, if you hear of anything, you know, that you can't take that you think I might be good for, or if you know anyone that I should introduce myself to, like, you know, please let me know. And I sent it out to a few female pros that I knew and had built relationships with, and they were all really great. But I have to say Kelly Sue was the one who really not only was really great about it, but then literally made a couple introductions, including one to Sarah Gatos at IDW, which led directly to me eventually getting Jem. Um, so I'm super grateful. Um, but I've had the help of so many people. I mean, it's a really great community. Um, there's, you know, a few black marks to it, of course, like anything. But on the whole, it's like really wonderful people. And it's a really tightly knit and small community for considering the industry, you know? Is, is there any difficulties worth navigating with it basically in, in many ways a fraternity at the moment still? Um, does that add pressure on you as being at the moment one of the more popular female writers in the industry? I mean, I think there are things that happen like I feel, I feel too competitive with other women and it's something I'm always trying to burn out of myself because it's bullshit. Um, it's, you know, it's some old school nonsense that makes me feel like, and nobody tells you this, but you know, you, there are only so many women at the table and there is this feeling that there's only room for so many. And so when someone gets something you want or someone else gets brought in and you're like, wait, is this the person replacing me? Because we only have X number of these spots available. But I try to stomp that out because there's room for everyone. And I especially want to support women um, just like I was supported. Um, I've found my male colleagues have been incredible uh, pretty much across the board, really supportive, really engaging, really, you know, really, really not a boys club at all. I think it's one of those things that on the whatever the macro level, when you look at it, you're like, wow, this is a systemic problem 
And it's really bizarre. We need more women at the table. We need more minorities at the table. Like, why does it look like this? But person to person, it's hard to understand why that happens or why it's like that because people are great. Like, Marvel has been nothing but welcoming to me. My colleagues there are incredibly supportive and great. Um, So it's a strange thing. Like, the industry absolutely has a problem but it's hard to know now that I'm on the inside. I'm like, I wouldn't know who to point the finger at because people want me to succeed. People have helped me succeed. I see it happening to other people too. So where does it really come from? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So, okay. Nobody else is going to hear this. So who is the John Crawford to your Betty Davis? I'm I don't think I'm famous enough to have one of those. <laughs> oh, give, give, give it time. Give it time. Don't worry. I, 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 I do have an actual question. Uh, Jim and the holograms. Yes. My, I'm old enough to have watched that show as a kid. Mm-hmm. My older sister was nuts over that show. Oh, yeah. Um, we, uh, we both dressed up. Uh, over Halloween with uh, Jim and the Holograms characters. Oh wow! At one time, um, I, I was just some random punk dude. Um, <laughs> a, a, in so much as a, a seven-year-old can can be a random punk dude. Um, <laughs> but uh, how did you how did you get that? And d- did you enjoy writing it? Was it something that you wanted to that that you pursued? Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, it was my first big opportunity. So um, I was pursuing it, if only because I wanted to get in. I wanted to break in, and it was hard to do. Um, But I loved the property. I was super excited about it. So that was Kelly Sudakonic made the introduction to Sarah Gatos at IDW. She's now at Oni. But Sarah and I were talking about... We're talking about a lot of little shorts just to get me started. Like I pitched her some Powerpuff Girl shorts and imaginary. Um, uh, I, it's just a couple little random like properties that they had licensed that they needed shorts for, for like anthologies and stuff. And so we were sort of talking about that and working on that. And, you know, we were having a good time. We liked each other. Um, she had seen some of Heart in a Box, my book that wasn't published yet, but that I had, you know, we had like 90 pages done or something. And so she knew I could write and, you know, whatever. And then IDW got the gem license and they were going to announce it soon. And she was like, you can't tell anyone, but would you have any interest in gem? And I was like, yes. I was like, I love Jem. You know, I grew up with Jem. That would be amazing. And I didn't say to her, but, you know, Sophie and I had become friends, Sophie Campbell and I. And Sophie was like a Jem fanatic. She did these famous Jem redesigns that Comics Alliance had picked up and run and people were like crazy about. And so Sophie and I had sort of been talking about, oh, I wish we could work on something together. But she's very choosy because as an artist, she can do a lot less at the same time than writers can. You know, writers can write six books at the same time, but writer, but artists really can just do one. So she's very choosy. But like she was into that, like us pitching it together. I, of course, broke Sarah's confidence immediately and went to Sophie and told her about the gem thing and did she want to do it and we should pitch <laughs> it and everything. And so 
so yeah, so we ended up, you know, that was John Barber. So Sarah basically handed Sophie and I off to John Barber and we pitched to John Barber and I'm sure they had other more famous people than me, maybe not than Sophie pitching or that they talked to about it, but for whatever reason, whether because other people were busy or our pitch was the best, I'll never know. <laughs> I don't want to know, but we got it. Um, I was really proud of our pitch. I thought it was really smart. I thought it really took the stuff that was essential about Jem and really kept that spirit of it and sort of doubled down on the stuff that was clearly important to Jem even back in the eighties, like diversity and oh yeah and then it sort of went to the next level and i thought we made really smart choices about like how to handle why gem needed to exist in the first place and like fixing the sort of toxic gem jerica rio relationship i thought we made like a really <laughs> lot of really smart choices and of course sophie's art was phenomenal it, and yeah she's incredible she's oh, amazing. oh my goodness she's amazing and, and so that was it idw as a whole so when when I was a kid, I remember I would get like the licensed comics, like the uh, I remember I got Alf. Um, <laughs> my sister would consistently buy the New Kids on the Block comics that came out, and they were they were comics. But <laughs> IDW puts out they get the licenses and they actually put people that know what they're doing behind it. Yeah, and the, they have actual stories that go beyond what you would imagine this property could do. So it's 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 really intriguing to me how how they're able to do that and and also get the like the talent they have on on their comics. Uh, yeah. it's it's amazing. I think IDW is a really smart company. I think John Barber is a really smart editor and now he runs IDW, but you know, they're very, they know how to work with licensors. They know how to them because that's not always an easy relationship between a licensor and a comic company, but they're really good at figuring those relationships out and putting people who really care about the properties on it. And it makes all the difference. So go as far as like licenses go. I mean, you you also did Sabrina and and Nancy Drew, and I did How, some Ghostbusters. Oh, you did? I did. I did for oh, the yes, uh, yes. for the for the all lady answer the call Ghostbusters. Yes. Yeah, it was so, really fun. Did you did you enjoy? I, I have a soft spot in my heart for Nancy Drew. <laughs> did you enjoy doing that? Was was that a a, a fun thing to? Fun I loved to do? it. And how'd that come I loved about? it. I loved it. I was working with Jen on that, Jen Saint Ange, and uh, you know she she did some misfits Fantastic. and some gem stuff with me, and she's terrific. She's an incredible um, storyteller, incredible artist, um, and a great lady. I I think Nancy Drew came to me through Nate. Oh my God, I'm completely blanking on his last name. That's so embarrassing. Um, Nate Cosby. I'm sorry. Um, who is a basically he's like a freelance editor for dynamite. So he works for dynamite, but he sort of works on his own and he like puts together teams and brings them in. And so, yeah, he reached out to me for Nancy drew, I think probably because maybe from the gem stuff, but I think more he was looking at the Hawkeye stuff I was doing and that Nancy drew was a lot like our, you know, because my Hawkeye had sort of a Veronica Mars bent to it. And so that's sort of in the same wheelhouse as Nancy Drew, but with more less superhero stuff, obviously. 
So I think that's why he was interested in me. And then I can't remember how Jen got involved. I suspect I suggested that she would be a really good fit for the sort of type of story we were trying to tell, which was, you know, not middle grade, but it was sort of lighter and cartoonier than some sort of dark noir take that that they'd recently had. So, yeah, so that was how it all came together. And I love doing it. We might do more. Um, the more time that passes, the less likely it feels, but we, we've talked about it. It's just about schedules and things at this point, I think. Did you ever get into a point where editorial kind of stifled what you had, what you had planned in your, in your comic? No, I had no problems with dynamite editorial or with the licensor. I didn't feel the licensor at all on Nancy Drew. Sometimes you can feel their hand in the notes or like, you know, sometimes you can, sometimes you get that sense from the editor that they're getting notes from a different place and that aren't gelling or whatever. Um, I think the only problem we had on Nancy drew was they were really freaking Jen out early on because they wanted her to draw chins differently. Something really (laughs) bizarre like that. Um, something really bizarre. And that was the only weird thing. I mean, we never had any real story problems or anything. So, what what's the best note you've ever gotten back from from editorial? Just just in general, from anywhere? Mm. Yes. Gosh, that's hard. Or, or what's the um, most infuriating note you've gotten? Oh, that's easier. <laughs> this stuff really uh, fascinates <laughs> me. <laughs> I think arbitrarily wanting you to add splash pages or double page spreads irritates me. I mean, especially me because I tend to use them anyway. Like I tend to put at least one double page spread in most of my superhero comics, um, as long as it feels like it fits. So I'm not even stingy about doing that, but I don't like being told arbitrarily that there needs to be one there. I don't like that. It makes me mad. Um, the story is the story. And if my artist feels we need one and we want to talk about that, um, and I can talk about that with my editor too, but I don't want it to be an arbitrary, like, oh, this book needs a minimum of, you know, it's sort of like, that's, that's not a real note to me. That's a, you're trying to fit a thing into a formula. And I understand that we have certain guidelines, but I don't want just an arbitrary note like that. I want the notes to reflect the story. I can't think of a specific what's the best note, but I will say that um, my editors, Sarah Brunstad and Will Moss on Captain Marvel and also Star and um, Black Widow now, um, they give really incredible notes. Like more than anyone else I've worked with, they'll give me a note where I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. That's a pain in the ass. I don't like it. And then I'll think about it. And I'm like, actually, it's a really good note. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, that's really smart. And we should totally do that. And now I'm doing it, you know, so they're pretty good at getting those through. They're very clever. Now, when you're writing for imprints, are you writing a script in a different format uh, than you do for Marvel, which obviously everyone knows is in the Marvel uh, format, the Marvel way? Well, the, I don't. that's actually sort of a misnomer. I mean, are you talking about the Marvel way being not uh, the, writing specific? The, 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 the plot style. Yeah, most most people don't do that. I mean, some some do, but that's not... I mean, I think that's... 
that's an old school thing that gets said, but I don't write scripts the Marvel way. I wrote a couple pages in issues three, four, and five that way for Pere Perez because they, he wanted to have a little more flexibility in his action scenes. And so I would write a more generic thing of like, hey, this is a fight scene. By the end of this page, we need this to have happened or I'm going to need a balloon where they can talk say this thing to each other. But other than that, you know, do what you want on the action. Um, so I've done that here and there on request, but that's not how I write. I write really specific scripts, especially because, you know, it's, you can loosen up the longer you're working with an artist, but in licensed work for higher comics, you often don't get to work with an artist for that long. And it can take five issues to really find your groove together. I mean, sometimes it's great and you find it faster than that. But, you know, when I'm writing for someone I've never written for before, I always tend to do more information than less information. And I'll, and I'll write a little thing at the front, like so excited we're working together. I tend to write tight scripts we don't have to do it this way. I'd just rather give you all the information you need and then we can figure it out from there. I'm always willing to collaborate. You know, let's hear your ideas because I want it to be a true collaboration. But I don't know. I I think leaving too much open, especially when you've never worked with that person before, it's just not enough information. Um, I got a really great compliment from Corey Smith, who's writing my new Captain Marvel arc for this Empire and he's doing these incredibly beautiful pages. And he got the first script and he said these really nice things about it. He said, you know, I love how you write these scripts. He's like, it's not just that it's so detailed. He's like, but sometimes you're talking about the emotion in the scene. He's like, that's so helpful for me as an artist. And I was like, oh, my God, that's like the greatest thing to hear. Like, that's the first thing. You, that's the best thing to know that you're writing to something, an artist, you know, the, something they want to write, want something they want to draw and something that's helpful to them and that informs it for them. Uh, it was like the greatest compliment, you know? Yeah. Um, when, when you are thinking about these um, storylines, how, and you're scripting, how far ahead are you thinking? Are you thinking in terms of five issues, 10 issues? Are you assuming, you know, a 24 issue run? Unfortunately, because of the way modern comics are, you sort of have to plan arc to arc. Um, I wish didn't, I wish it wasn't that way, both because it would be a little bit of a relaxing to just be like, yeah, I'm going to be doing this for 30 issues. It's going to be great. Um, and also because, you know, you do miss out on some of the more layered, slow burn plotting. You know, like we used to see that a lot more in older comics where you'd have sort of a B story laid in there and sometimes a C story. And those were like a really slow burn, like a character thing. Like, you know, especially if you think of like old Chris Claremont X-Men comics, like he wrote those for so long that, you know, he could put something about some random scene with Storm in issue, you know, whatever, 200. And then he could wait till issue 250 to pay that, to, to bring that forward. And we just don't really live in that anymore. So it's tricky, um, you know, <laughs> I think that it worked out very well for us in Captain Marvel because we introduced in issue one this Ripley, Ripley Ryan character. And then she was just sort of in it a little bit for those five issues. And then we had these two issues that were a War of Realms tie-in that were sort of separate. 
And then we came back in issue eight and that was this big debut of this star character. And then people eventually figured out, oh, no, she was Ripley Ryan. So she's been there from the beginning. And so, you know, you can plan a little bit like we're like, okay, we know we're going to get through 11. So we can set that up and do that. But, you know, you want to set that stuff up. And so you're trying to do that. I'm doing something similar in Deadpool where I set a thing up early on that we're going to be paying off in like the second or third arc. But you can't plan it too far out because you don't know how many you're going to get. So it's uh, it's a bit of a high wire act. So so you're really well known for your character building and stuff like that. It, and talking about how comics have changed over the, you know, the past, you know, few years, past decade or so, have you found a way to kind of do a shortcut to, to building these characters? But in, in a short amount of time that you would originally have had several months of a run to, to do is, is there right. a, uh, do you have any advice for that? I don't, I don't know if there's any trick on the page because, you know, you only have so much time. I mean, I think one of the greatest tricks, which is not something you're always in control of, but one of the greatest tricks is to have a great artist who can design a great character because, comics are so much a visual medium and especially with social media and stuff and like people just you know they're not going to read something necessarily that I've written out but if you put an incredible cover or character design up there it really gets people talking and excited so I mean I would credit a lot of what happened with Star which is a great example because that's a character that we didn't really know was going to take off and now she's got her own series and Got all these people on forums and on my Twitter coming to me and saying how much they love Star and they hope she doesn't go bad. And I'm like, I got news for you. She's already bad. So you guys, <laughs> you guys have got a problem here. Um, but the, a huge part of that was Carmen's design, which is incredible. It's this beautiful costume. We thought a lot about it. We gave her some notes, but it's mostly her, man. It's just beautiful. And, and it really had this immediate impact for people reading of like, what's this character about? And I want to know more. And she really took off. You know, I like to think some of that is also the story we told, that it was really emotional and that we were building this mystery of who this woman was and what she was doing. And so I like to think, you know, we did a pretty good job, but the, you know, the character design was a lot of it. I mean, for me personally, how I figure a character out is when I know what the general sort of themes are that I'm trying to talk about you know, where I'm trying to get with the character development of a story, whether I'm dealing with existing characters or maybe existing characters that I haven't written before or with entirely new characters, I tend to write snippets of dialogue, some which make it in eventually and some which are just sort of notes for me. And it's just me figuring out the voice and like finessing that. Like, what does this joke sound like? Do they make this joke? What's the sort of repartee between these two characters how does that sound like what's the cadence of that that's a lot of it for me with figuring out a character and if they existed before doing a lot of research (laughs) well i'm actually loving what you're doing with the star series right now um i obviously just bought issue two um a few weeks uh, a few days ago actually and it was fantastic thank you so if you don't mind i'm gonna actually gonna um go a little uh, geek on the series and ask you a few questions about it yeah you got it um, okay, so my first question is, obviously she has within her a Infinity Stone, and we all know, uh, well, specifically the Reality Stone, and we all know anytime there's an Infinity Stone involved, we're talking about epic, huge stories. 
is this connected to a larger event that's going to happen in the uh, Marvel Universe? Anything you can share about that? I would say we'd be fools to assume it'll just be a miniseries and there will be nothing else. Like, I think you're dead on. You're When you're dealing with Infinity Stones, it's always going to be a bigger story. I think... I don't know how far out those plans are, but I'm sure they'll come eventually. What I would say is I love that they're letting us tell this very intimate, less huge cosmic world ending story. I think it really is a different way to approach those stones, you know, Um, by separating them and letting them bond to humans. It instantly gives them this personality and this force, right? And so here we are seeing this story that's Star's story, but it's also the story of the reality stone and like where it's going in a way. And I, I'm sort of really excited about that. I don't know how many more of those we're going to see. I'm sure it depends on things that connect or don't connect. Um, but I would guarantee you that it will eventually lead to something much bigger. Well, I'm sure of that. Well, that's very cool. So she's going to become a, um, a primary character. She's going to be potentially in other series as well, or... Well, I don't don't know for sure. I mean, she's, you know, spoiler alert, she's a bad guy. So, I mean, she's not going to be showing up in the Captain Marvel book, for example, as like Carol's right-hand man or her partner in crime. Um, She might be showing up again as a villain. Um, You know, this is a very clear path she's on. So what, I mean, I guess there's a little bit of anti-hero in there and I hope she's a relatable villain. I mean, that's part of what's great about writing a series about a villain is like, why is she like that? Can we understand where she's coming from? Like, does she have a point? Like, I think she does. I think she totally has a point and she's suffering from really bad PTSD from some of these things that have happened because of superheroes and specifically because of Carol And I think all that stuff's really interesting. And I like to see more of that stuff in comics. So I don't think, I don't, even if I knew for sure where she's going to land after this miniseries, I wouldn't be allowed to tell you. But I don't think Marvel puts the kind of push they're putting behind a character like this without having designs towards doing more and, and keeping her in the spotlight. So I'd be surprised if she doesn't end up somewhere after this miniseries. Now, you're saying you're interested in seeing how the Infinity Stones affect the characters. Now, it does have an effect then on her psyche. Is that making her more villainous? Or do you think she would have been this way regardless of the impact of the stone on her? Well, I think that having access to that kind of power necessarily changes you, right? So I I don't know that... I don't think it's that this... It's not as literal as the reality stone has its own conscious conscience or its own, uh, you know, it's not like controlling her or telling her what to do. It's nothing like that. It's more just like having access to that kind of power is necessarily going to change you and change how you behave and what you do with that power. Uh, but I will say that, you know, I don't, I don't even think I can go out on a limb and say they definitely, the stones definitely have some kind of conscience, but it seems to me like they have to have something because they chose these people that they fell into. And so there's something in that, like my take on it for Ripley is that the stone wants to survive. It wants somebody who wants to fight and 
in that moment, it found Star because that's what she wanted. She wanted to live. She wanted to fight. She wanted to, you know, do all these things. And it, it felt like that, like, very powerful desire from her. And it matched it, you know. And so it ends up in Ripley Ryan. Well, I mean, does that suggest then, because uh, you said she's a villain, does that suggest the Stones are a villainous by nature on, on some level? Or are they just more primal? They I think, do that way. I think I think that's not for me to answer. I think that's a bigger question. I tend more toward, you know, you calling it primal. I think that feels a little more right to me. I, I don't think, like, you know, good and evil is so weirdly binary, right? Like, it all depends on your perspective. So yeah. I think for the stones to be good or evil would sort of be limiting the view of what they are a little bit. But in a primal way, I think of it picking Ripley just because it wanted to survive and it feeling that that's also what Ripley wanted. And, you know, so sort of two, two like minds, like, okay, well let's combine, you know? Well, what also I found um, very fascinating was that in obviously issue two, you're bringing in the Scarlet witch and obviously she's had her own very uh, checkered past and she's almost mentoring her um, Riley sort of in this issue how will that affect the development of Riley star um, throughout the series? Well, I mean, I think that Wanda is offering her an olive branch, but she isn't just going to let, it can't just be, Oh, just come with me and your crimes are forgiven. It's something we touch on a little bit in, in star number three with Carol, who very literally, literally is like, okay, so you want, you want her to, go the redemption route you know what does that even look like what she goes to prison for a while like because she's not going to do that she's got a reality stone in her chest she's not going to agree to do that that's not that's not the woman i've met that's someone who's going to agree to do that so i don't even know how we would work that practically and i think that carol's not wrong but wanda is trying to do a good thing by not only helping a person but trying to prevent them becoming something much worse I think I can't really say too much about where that's going to go without sort of spoiling things for you. It, yeah, no, definitely don't spoil <laughs> anything. I mean, we, we wouldn't want you to. But um, for the Scarlet Witch, I mean, does, do you think this is subconsciously she has to think that this character going to be redeemed, redeemed considering what she's gone through? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely personal for her. It's like she wants to believe in, you know, people being able to come back from horrible things they've done. And, and listen, I think most superheroes feel that way because most of them have done something horrible at one point or another. But um, Wanda is certainly, you know, she, she really <laughs> she really went all out on her uh, on, on her damage that she yeah, did. So, <laughs> that's true. Um, I think it is personal for her. And I think she she not only wants wants to help Ripley avoid making those same mistakes, but, you know, she would love to be helpful in preventing that because it's like more atonement. Right. Right. Now you're, you're writing a story with the Scarlet Witch and we know how powerful she is. And then also a reality stone as a writer, is it challenging to come up with a cat with a, an adversary powerful enough to really make this a threat? I mean, how do you go about continuing to come up with ideas that can work at that level? Yes, it is hard. It's one of the hardest things about comics for me and it does not get that much easier. I tend to gravitate toward more street level characters. Um, 
And I think just because the stakes are just so much more reasonable and the threats are more reasonable and it's a little more relatable to me, I've really had to push myself with Carol because she's such a powerful character. And so you really have to come up with these huge threats or these other ways in which she's impaired to make the stories, you know, really have these great stakes. It's probably something I'll always struggle with. I definitely, with this last Avenger arc that I've been doing with Carol, I definitely tried to channel my inner Donnie Cates because Donnie is really good at, at writing big. Um, I'm much better. It's more natural for me to write small, to write character stuff, emotional stuff, like stuff that not that it doesn't have stakes, but just, it's just more personal and private, you know? Um, like with Jessica Jones and and Hawkeye, but he's really good at that big, like look at that big whole picture. And I really tried to channel him a little bit for that with uh, Last Avenger, and it worked out really well. And I had a really great time doing it. It felt really big, it felt really <laughs> ballsy, and it was it was fun. It was fun. So, uh, speaking of major threats, at the end of this issue, you introduced uh, you brought into um, the story the Black Order. Yeah. Now, are they going to be more dangerous, you think, to Star? Or are they more dangerous to those who have are in the way of Star? That makes any sense. I think it's probably both. I think, yeah. I mean, issue... I'm trying to not get confused because I turned in issue four, but issue three is the one I'm seeing art on. I'm trying not to confuse them in my mind. You're going to see some of them tangling with Star in issue three. And then that's going to kind of boil over into issue four. It's definitely everyone who's star and star adjacent are sort of in the path now, which changes things a little bit. Again, I don't want to give anything away, but like once you have something as powerful as the black order on the table, like Carol has to think a little differently now, right? Because it's not just, Oh, I'd like Ripley Ryan to be safely tucked away in prison to answer for her crimes. It's, holy shit, do I want the Black Order to get the reality stone, uh, whether it's in a human being or not, you know? So uh, having them on the table is this really great stakes-changing thing, which I love. Hey, so I understand that you're um, you're going to be doing a Deadpool comic soon. No, I'm already doing it. We're on, oh, issue, we're on issue three. I'm a, I'm a jackass. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> issue four comes out this month. It's the last issue of our first arc. Um, and then we've got a one-off, which is really fun with art by, so Chris, uh, Chris, um, I'm sorry, uh, Bacello was doing the art for the first four issues. He's incredible. He does this incredible world building stuff. And I loved his art ever since like, Oh God. Uh, the the death miniseries from mm. yeah. yeah yeah no he's terrific he's terrific um he's um uh unfortunately we've lost him after the first four issues which we sort of knew was going to happen although he's still doing our covers up till nine i think but um issue five is gerard sandoval who um is did an incredible job it's a standalone issue it's really fun and also really sad and then issue six is another standalone issue, but it's Deadpool basically trying to break into Krakoa. Um, so we'll get some great X-Men shenanigans. And and then we start up a, another arc. Um, so I guess that's in May with issue seven. 
So how has your experience been writing for, for Deadpool when you have such huge stakes in, in the, uh, the star book and, and some of the other things that you've written. And now you have, you know, a guy who breaks the fourth wall and <laughs> he can't really be killed. Maybe he can <laughs> be easily dismembered, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, with Deadpool, the thing is always to find that good mix between action and comedy. Fortunately, those are like my two favorite things about comics and about really any media. So I think that's a really natural fit for me. The trick with Deadpool to me, though, is you have to make sure that there has to be something under the jokes. You have to be trying to say something or uh, get to something within his character uh, that's not just jokes because, uh, you know, uh, I, th- I think jokes are a great gateway drug into other comics and characters. And, and it's true of all media, really, but I found it particularly powerful in comics. But not everybody likes the same jokes. Not everybody has the same sense of humor. So there's got to be some layers there if you really want people to engage. Um, I think we've found some really great layers, but, you know, you don't get a lot of time to prove that in comics these days, unfortunately. So. I hope people stick around to to really get to the heart of what we're doing. So you're doing this in conjunction with the the massive uh, team that, that Hickman's built, I'm, I'm assuming, correct? No, I mean, Deadpool's not a mutant. Um, uh, people get that really confused because of the movie. Um, well, I was just saying because he's he's breaking into Krakoa. Oh, I did, I did have to run. Yeah, the, I mean, the script did have to go through the the x office to to get approved for sure yeah and we had to let them know we were doing it and stuff so Um, no 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 craziness with that it was just all pretty much straightforward um no i had to rewrite a whole section (laughs) they they didn't want us to do a thing that we were really excited to do and they said hard no on it so that was like three or four pages i had to rewrite but it was okay because it ended up I was really tight on the action scenes um, as it was. So it ended up giving us a little more room to breathe everywhere. And I think it actually ended up making for a better issue, even though I'm very sad we had to lose the bit. So sigh. <laughs> Some, sometimes it just be <laughs> like that. Yep. But I mean, like, like you said, I mean, it, sometimes when that happens, you come away with a tighter comic or a, a yes. tighter for sure. Thing all together. I'm, I'm sure that's kind of, you know, the, the way it usually shakes out because you're actually having to go back and, and think extra hard about how to make these uh, square pegs fit in around holes. So you yeah, get really I mean, creative. For sure. That often leads to a better story for sure. For sure. So do, do you mind if I ask about, so you got involved with, with a, a, charity comic um it's the uh sorry i'm looking at my notes here the shots fired thing oh what what drew you to that to that project um well i mean i i certainly believe in the message i mean the gun violence in this country is insane it's just crazy it's so out of control um i mean i've just I'm sure like so many of us, I, I see another story. And at this point I just like scroll past it, like, Oh, another shooting. Like, it's crazy that we feel that way now. Um, but the, but the big reason beyond that was because 
Uh, Brendan Wright um, is a friend. He's a guy who edited my very first comic. I'm sorry. Hold on. I got to yell at my cat. Monarch, knock it off. Um, the, uh, he makes you feel any better. My my (laughs) dog was having a nightmare a minute ago. (laughs) I had to wake her up. I'm like, I'm sorry, but stop freaking out. He doesn't really like it when I talk to anyone else, to be honest. He sometimes sits, (laughs) like my boyfriend and I, we talking to each other through other rooms and he'll just sit in the middle between us and, and yowl about it. So he's very, uh, it's not about him. He's not sure he likes it. So um so yeah i um uh brendan wright uh edited my very first comic heart in a box my graphic novel and he had asked me to get on board and i can't remember exactly how it happened but there was this idea that maybe i could work with david la fuenta who i've always wanted to work with and i've been a really big fan of and so i told him i would do it if it was going to be david and it ended up working out. So I just, it's just a four page short. It's sort of about PTSD and, and gun violence. And um, David did these amazing pages for it. It's really beautiful. That That's awesome that you were able to get involved with that. And um, uh, it, sorry, it, it just intrigued me. I, th- I thought it was a cool thing. Yeah. Um, you, I'm not you, sure when you, it'll come out, but. <laughs> you've really had your, your, your ability to just go all around the Marvel universe, what you've taken on so many awesome characters. Is there anyone in the Marvel universe that you're like itching to get your hands on? I've been really lucky. And so I really have had a shot at like most of the characters that I'm really excited about. I mean, sometimes just in minor ways, I think a character that I've only written a little bit of that. I mean, I want the Spider-Man book. We all want the Spider-Man book. He's oh yeah, the, yeah. He's, and he's and you did full circle. <laughs> I did. I got him for eight pages in full circle. He's got a tiny little cameo in um, in uh, Jessica Jones. Um, I tried to write him into Deadpool, but we ended up pulling it out for a variety of reasons. And I think it was the right call, but I was bummed because I think they're they're a great weird odd couple but so spider-man is sort of the big one but there's a ton of especially x-men but there's a ton of characters that i've gotten to write a little bit for that i'd love to do more with i'm getting a lot with elsa in deadpool right now especially in this arc that's coming up um she really sort of graduates to co-star um from sort of cameo and maybe supporting role in the first you know five issues um so but she's a character I love. I mean, Magic and Emma Frost are like two of my favorites. Um, Laura Kinney Wolverine, Armor. Like I've gotten to write all of them a little bit here and there, but they're some of my favorites that I would love to like do a little more with. Have you had any experiences where you were um, taking on a new project and, and thinking back like, oh my goodness, this is this is what I wanted to do when I was a student at SCAD or, or well, even, even before that, I mean, Rogue and Gambit, when I got to write that book and Mr. And Mrs. X after it, you know, those were characters that a were really my entry point into like modern monthly comics. Um, because I watched the animated series. <laughs> I had the biggest crush on them. I thought they were the best and that was basically how I started reading comics. And I was obsessed with them. I had issue 24 framed in my room. I had, I bought extra copies of 
gambit number one so I could cut it up and I made like a collage of it. Like I was obsessed. So when I got Rogue and Gambit, that was like, I've arrived. <laughs> animated happening. series Gambit inspired me to get the biggest shutdown of my young life. <laughs> in that I was at the I was at Miracle Strip in South Carolina and there was a girl in line with me in like the oak and bucket ride where you know you spin around in circles really fast <laughs> and uh I thought she was cute <laughs> and I decided oh I'll try this what do they call these things pickup lines uh <laughs> and my 12 year old self said oh gambit sounds cool he's always cool I'll do my best gambit accent and uh she asked me if if I was Norwegian because she had <laughs> she couldn't place <laughs> the the dumb accent I had chosen and she could not figure out what the hell I was trying to say so, yeah well at least she tried <laughs> oh yeah yeah she she uh yeah she dodged a bullet because if I would have come <laughs> with my with my real southern accent, oh yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, do do you have any aspirations for like anyone in it, like uh, at the at the other big company across the street? <laughs> I mean, you know, I I'd, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't interested in Batman. We're all interested in Batman. Um, I also love Catwoman. I like Nightwing. I'm the biggest. Big Barda, Scott Free fan. Uh, cursed Tom King forever for getting to that book before I could. <laughs> uh, he did it better than I did, than, than I would have. So maybe we're lucky, but uh, yeah. That's such a good book. It's amazing. And it's amazing. The, the relationship aspect that they had in the book. I, the, the scene in the book when you find out that they're pregnant, I was like, oh, my God. I've never gotten joyfully happy about something so not real in my life. That is high praise. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, um, uh, I'm one of the biggest cast cane fans out there. Um, so yeah, uh, there's a, there's a lot of stuff I like over there, but you know, yeah. Marvel has been really good to me and they've made me really happy. They gave me a lot of opportunities and I'm very happy there. And they're, they're, killing it doing such amazing stories right now what was the comic that that really like for kelly thompson as a you know baby kelly thompson Mm -hmm. what was the one that just kind of set you off well i think i think that answer is really different at different times like the thing that got me in and it took nothing i don't think it's a particularly good book which is um, Uncanny X-Men 290. It's got a storm, will storm in the rain, will Spartacio cover. Okay, come on. And it's not a particularly great comic. It's fine. There's, you know, when I look back at that comic, um, I do see what appealed to me about it, though, because that issue is what I remember about it is mostly the emotional like soap opera type stuff. Right. Like it was totally a soap opera during that time too. Yeah. It was, it was storm trying to decide whether she was going to go off and be with forge and then forge before she could come back and decide that she was going to go, which she was going to do, 
he like decides to take mystique because mystique is all messed up from being all those different people. And she's going insane and he's going to go and he's going to help her or whatever. And so it's this big betrayal to storm and she's heartbroken and whatever. And like, so when I look back at that, I don't think it's a great comic necessarily, but I see why it appealed to me at 16 and why I became 15, whatever it was. I became so obsessed with it. So that was the first X-Men comic I read. It was the first floppy comic I ever read. And I had read Digest, like Archie Digest, when I was a kid. But I didn't really, they weren't the same. Like, I didn't associate them with, like, the comic store and the monthly comics and, like, all of that. So they felt like two different things to me. Um, So, I mean, that was the comic that kicked it all off. It didn't take much because I just fell in love with comics. But then there were different comics over the years. Alias was a book that like brought me back to comics after I'd left for a while. Jeffrey Brown's Unlikely was a comic that I found that even though I'd already gone to SCAD and graduated with my fancy sequential art degree, that was a comic that like really made me rethink indie comics. And I just fell in love with it. Um, Gabrielle Bell's Lucky does that too. Uh, somewhere in there, I read... Um, next wave agents of hate which was like is my favorite superhero comic maybe my favorite comic to date um so like there were all these touchstones through the years you know of of what i mean walking dead i i didn't read it through its whole run but it was something that brought me back to comics after i had taken a break from them and i was like what is this this is so good why is this so good you know so (laughs) There's always these things that that bring you back in, you know. That that's awesome. Uh, so, SCAD. Did you, how was your experience there, and did you did you get everything you needed to know there, or was it something like, I mean, you you went there for art, right? Yeah, I mean, well, sequential art degree is a mix of art and writing. Um, I can draw some. Um, I can draw like someone who went to art school and was like, oh, I'm never going to be good at this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't have the patience, discipline, or even the love for it that you need to have to get better. Um, uh, I, I wish I did. Um, I, it just became very clear to me when I was there, even though I learned a lot about art and I got a lot better, it just became clear to me that writing was where my real passion was and that I was putting myself in an industry where I, you could really, those things had a separation. And so I could do just one. Um, but scab was a good experience for me. It was, it was a great experience. I really didn't want to be so beautiful too. I didn't really want to leave when it happened because I was a transfer. (laughs) So, um, you know, it's like, I have all this nostalgia for it because I left like at that point where, you haven't overstayed your welcome kind of thing. My boyfriend was there freshman year all the way through. And then he got his, um, he was getting his master's there. So he doesn't have, I mean, he still has nostalgia for it. I'm sure in the sense of like, Oh, the good old days, the college days, whatever. But like to talk about visiting, I'm like, Oh yeah, I want to go back and see all the things he's like, no. Cause and he, I'm like, Oh yeah, I was there for two years. You were there for seven. Of course. Of course, you're like, I'm over it. Um, <laughs> so it was a good experience. I I wouldn't say I learned everything you need to learn. I think 
definitely not. Um, is that Scad's fault? I don't. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of practical, real world stuff that is a hard to teach, and B is very hard to teach to twenty somethings who are at college. Who you know, I always say college is wasted on eighteen year olds, right? Like if you went back to college when you were thirty or thirty five, you'd probably get so much more out of it because. You know, you just your perspective has changed on what your priorities are. Um, you know, I I would have learned a lot more I think at thirty than I did at twenty. You know, um, I had one. We had one professor, Jack Cassidy, who was only there for a year that I was there, and he used to talk a lot about the practicalities of how to make this into a career. And, you know, 20 year old Kelly was like, whatever, dude. Like, so I'm sure plenty of them, I'm sure plenty of them tried to figure out ways to make more practical advice useful. Um, it, it didn't work for me. I had to basically learn it on my own once I got out. <laughs> so what would you tell 20 year old Kelly now? I mean, I tell her to work harder and faster so she'd be younger when all of this started to work out. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, as far as schooling goes to, I mean, the practical advice, I would, I would pay more attention in coloring class. That was always really tough for me, but I think is a really amazing art and a useful skill. If you're good at it, I don't know, to, to listen to the practical stuff to do an internship to, you know, that kind of stuff, put yourself out there more. So, um, I'm, I'm going to start wrapping it up now. I don't want to take too much of your time up. Um, you live in an area where you could probably throw a rock and, and hit like a, an indie comic shop or, or something <laughs> like that. At least that's what I must, I, I assume living in Birmingham, Alabama, where there are like maybe one or two, um, within you know the closest 30 miles um do you have a like a local comic shop that you just swear by well i'm very bad and i don't really go that often but there are a lot of great shops here floating world is a really great one that's downtown um books with pictures is an incredible shop that i think is actually opening a second location now soon um they're incredible I think my boyfriend's pull is at Excalibur, which is a good shop and also a little closer to us than some of the others. Um, it's a it's a great Portland's a great city and it's got a great thriving you know comics community here. Massive community there. I'm so yeah. jealous. <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty good. We've only been here for I guess we're headed towards four years. We're somewhere in our third year, and uh, it's pretty it's pretty great. So where are you from originally? I'm originally from California, but okay. I was in New York um, <laughs> for the last what, 11 years before we moved here. So since 2005 to something, I was in New York. So was Savannah a massive culture shock for you when you? <laughs> well, I didn't. It wasn't. It wasn't that bad because I my it's kind dad. Of a microcosm. He, I had a little bit of a army brat sort of thing. My dad is not in the army, but he worked for a company that often contracts out to the military. And so you do end up moving more often. So I lived in California and then I lived in Colorado and then I lived in Utah and then I went to Arizona for two years oh, to go wow. to school. So, yeah. He... <laughs> yeah I, so I was in Arizona before I transferred to SCAD. So 
I'd sort of been all over. I mean, the South was definitely the biggest change I'd had, but I was pretty used to adjusting to new environments. So it wasn't that bad. I don't like the weather. I don't like the weather or the alligators, but other yeah. than that. <laughs> we just, uh, I, I woke up this morning worried about my friends in uh, Nashville because there was a massive tornado that just ripped through there. It, stuff like that's no fun. Yeah. Uh, but is there anyone right now in comics that we need to take a closer look at that we need to have our eyes on? Anybody you think is being overlooked and is just really blowing your hair back? Gosh, that's such a that's such a tough question. Um, I mean, I you think could even it, be cocky and go like, "There's this lady named Kelly Thompson." <laughs> no, I just think that most the, most of the people that I'm that I'm talking, I mean, I'm so behind in my reading all the time, so that sucks. But um, you know, so many of the people that, that when you write like eight titles, <laughs> yeah, and the people whose stuff I read right now, even it's just. Um, I just feel like they're not undiscovered. I mean, like my favorite book right now is um, Matt Rosenberg's Hawkeye. Um, he just seems I, like a good dude. Uh, he's a great dude. And I love that book so much. I think it's so fun. It's like the perfect Clint to me. I just love it. I think Otto Schmidt's art is just incredible. So yeah, I mean, if you've been sleeping on Matt Rosenberg, that's a mistake. Don't do that. <laughs> he also wrote, one of the best indie comics I've ever read. Um, Four Kids Walk Into a Bank. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just such a great book, which then rips your heart out at the end. <laughs> Stomps on it a few times. Classic Matt faction, <laughs> fashion. So, um, yeah. Um, speaking of Rosenberg, uh, he had a tweet earlier today that mentioned you. Um, oh. I'll, I'll not have you defend your position. There. <laughs> I don't think I had a position. I agree with him about Namor. It just wasn't super helpful to what I was working on. <laughs> like, I think I had to say to him at one point, I was like, well, that's really great, but I can't make Namor the villain in this because I need a villain. That's still my Carol villain at the end of this. I was like, and also it's not a Namor book. So don't know how this these ideas you have about Namor are going to work for me. I was just going more on the on <laughs> on the uh, the assertion that everybody wanted to bone Namor. <laughs> I feel like that's pretty true. I feel like that's pretty true. He's, he's a fit dude. He's he a, fit, a dude. fit dude. He runs around in a speedo. He's got little wings on his ankles. Like, what's not to like? He says cool shit too. <laughs> so. I mean, I guess, I guess when he's destroying nations, he's less cool. But um, other than that, everybody's got a friend that you know takes <laughs> takes shit a little bit too far sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Thompson, it has been a pleasure to talk to you. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. It was a good time. It. it it, thank you again. And anytime you have something that you, you want to, you know, come around and, and talk about or go like, hey, uh, let, let's chat. Give <laughs> us a heads up. It was okay. a blast. And um, uh, again, uh, Jeff enjoyed talking to you. I don't, Jeff is, it's like midnight there and he <laughs> He, oh, he, there he is. Okay. No, I, 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 I was I've already been, fell asleep. No, I've been staying up for Kelly Thompson. Can't fall asleep on Kelly Thompson. <laughs> but I really appreciate you coming on and answering my questions as well. You are fantastic. Of course. Thanks so much for having me, guys. That's Take care.
Kung-Fulu. Kung-Fulu. I, say, I think I said Kung-Fulu like three times during that. <laughs> That's hilarious. That is funny. So Kung-Fulu says, welcome back. <laughs> 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 Kelly seems like a lot of fun. I, I Again, as I've always said in the last, I see every time we've done this, I always wish that I was there to, to be a part of it. But I wasn't, and Jeff and Casey were, and they had a great time. And uh, we hope that... Kelly had a good time being on the show talking with them and someday she maybe comes back and talks with us sometime. Yeah, that'll be fun. That'll be good. Yeah. It'll be good. It'll be good. So there you guys go. I hope you enjoyed that interview. Uh, you know, we have a lot. We have a lot of interviews back over at spoilerverse.com. More and than one. More than one. More than a hundred. More yeah, than a hundred and fifty. Seriously. More than two hundred. A lot. And you can go back and enjoy all of that for free. You can. I can. I mean, if you just look at the list of the last two weeks of who we released episodes with, you got Burt Ward, Renee Witterstatter, Mark Sable, Kevin Kiner, Tom Constantino, Liam Sharp, Fabian Echeza, Terry Moore, and now Kelly Thompson. And tomorrow, spoiler, is Colin Bunn. So we got so many cool people that we've talked with, and you should go and check all of them out. Yep, the hits just keep coming, 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 coming. It, it really does. It does, it's, for sure. It's yeah. been a lot of fun. It's going to continue to be a lot of fun. We're excited for what's going to come down the, in the future for you guys to check out. But in the meantime, do us a huge favor. Go to Google Play or iTunes, whatever you, where you like to listen, and hit us up on a review. It helps us tremendously. And then you can share it out. It's that simple. You should. You should because that helps us. It helps everybody else find us. And that's exactly what you should do if you like the show. And if you like what we do here, if you love us as people and, you know, you, you, Kendrick and I are, are great, lovely, fun people. And our show's fun and our website's fun and it's all free. But if you want to help us out in any way at all, you can go to spoilerverse.com and click on that link that says store up at the top and go to our T Public store. And there's designs of our shows there's a spoilerverse design there's new designs coming out we are trying to, i'm trying my best to put a new design in the store every week for a while until i run out of ideas because we have all these shows we have all these things we want to do so i figured throwing a design a week in there is really cool so you can check every week for new design roughly i'm not guaranteeing them promising them. i'm just saying what my goal is to do but buy a shirt buy a hoodie buy a a, a mug anything a sticker a, a magnet it whatever keeps the lights on it keeps the lights on it helps us out and uh, you look as i said before Fly as hell. <laughs> Fly as hell. All right, guys. That's a show. You know, we'll just end it as we always end it. In our oceans of podcasts, we are Cthulhu. And as Cthulhu compels you to do. Go to Twitter or Facebook or Instagram and tell us what Cthulhu compels you to do. So you can put it right here. Boom. Boom.